Well, hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you today and excited to continue our series, You Mad Bro. And we are looking at the moments that made Jesus mad, these times in his life where he got upset. And at the core of it, what we see is Jesus was upset when there was an obstruction between God and humanity, when there was not a clear path for God to create or to connect with his creation. And we've created man-made systems and barriers and hierarchies and policies and rules, and they obstruct our ability to connect with him. And this frustrated Jesus. This made him mad. This riled him up. And our hope is to become a church that's not angry at the world, but we want to be a church that is passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about, that our heart would align with the heart of Christ and do everything we can to create a clear path so that people can have a genuine encounter with Jesus. That's what we want to be passionate about. Not angry about all these little things that, that may or may not matter. I, I, that's not what this series is all about. And so last week, we kicked off the series by looking at conflict and how conflict can become that obstruction. That interpersonal conflict can actually obstruct our ability to connect with God and to connect with other people and other people's desire to connect with God. Right, And in the midst of conflict, we become entrenched with anger and in our rightness. And we compared our rightness. I'm right. I see it right. My perspective is right. My desire is right. My goal is right. My rightness. And we get angry about that compared to reconciliation. And that is the thing that Jesus was passionate about. Jesus was passionate about reconciling relationships. And he gives us very clear and firm teachings on that. And we explored some of that last week. In terms of, well, what if someone wrongs you? Or excuse me, what if you're the one that wrongs someone? What do we do, right? He gives us very clear teaching in the midst of that, how to strive for reconciliation when I myself have made a mistake and I've wronged somebody. And we talked about being quick to repent, that we are people who are quick to say I'm sorry and quick to repent. That's a step towards reconciliation. But what do you do when someone has wronged you? Gulp. What do you do and what part do we play in reconciliation when someone else is is the perpetrator? And I want you to think for a moment, and it won't take much to think about instances or moments or memories where this is true. I want you to think about when somebody has wronged you. Think about a time where you've been irritated at somebody, frustrated, someone's offended you, bothered you, hurt you. It's not difficult to think of a time where somebody did something in a way where it broke trust where it hurts you emotionally and relationally, physically, sexually. There's abuse that occurs in our world. And that, that happens to us. That has been infiltrated upon us. Think of a time where somebody did something and it caused you to sit in that rightness that we talked about, being entrenched in that rightness, being angered at that rightness. I'm, I'm right and they wronged me. They hurt me. They're worse, and I'm going to sit here and wait for them to make it right, right? That's us staying in this anger, staying in this rightness. Think of a time where somebody has done something or said something that it's, it's caused you to want to withdraw, to pull back, to disengage and disconnect and sever the relationship, maybe ignore them or avoid them in different ways. Maybe it's caused us to seek revenge in which we want to retaliate. We want to hit back. We want to cause them to feel the similar pain that we're feeling. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And this could be highly aggressive where we use our vocabulary, we use our words, we write a nasty email, we put them on blast in some 
some way, we yell, whatever, maybe a little bit more passive, where we do it a little bit more behind their back. We gossip about them. We vent to a bunch of other people about them and talk about them in that way. To think about a time where somebody got you feeling defensive, feeling like you had to, you had to defend yourself and your point of view and your perspective. It's not difficult to think of these moments, but it's helpful to think of those moments because as we talk about reconciliation, I don't want us just thinking about pie in the sky. I want you to make it real for yourself right in this moment to think of those things. And it, it may be somebody very close to you, somebody you love dearly or may have been a stranger in your life, but that really doesn't matter. The idea here is that we've all been wronged and Jesus shows us a way towards seeking reconciliation without letting our anger destroy you, without letting your anger destroy another person, without letting your anger destroy the relationship, because Jesus is passionate about reconciling people. He's passionate about this. He wants us to experience wholeness and that sense of shalom in our relationships with other people, and that's important. I heard one pastor ask their spouse this one time, and I was reading a book about this, and and he asked his spouse, he said, gosh, honey, is there any time out there Uh, that is greater than this, and he poses this question, and I think it's relevant. And and if you're a parent out there, I want you to think about this and, and, and relate to this. To all the parents, think about, see if this is true for you. In your home, is there a greater joy than when you sit back and see your kids getting along? Not when they're obedient to you and do everything you say. No, but when they can just go and play together, laugh together, read together, do a puzzle together when they can be in the same room and they're not arguing, fighting, crying, giving each other ultimatums. You're not giving them ultimatums, right? They're not negotiating like a hostage negotiation sort of a thing, breaking down. But that there can be no greater joy as a parent to sit back and watch your kids just do this. I love hearing my kids when I'm downstairs and I hear them. Just recently, this happened. Two of them were upstairs reading together, just giggling and being silly. Or when they watch a show together and you just hear them gut laugh together, or just being in the same room, and that joy that I feel and that April can feel, we, we related to this idea, and, and it makes you think, isn't that the heart of our Heavenly Father, that He wants to sit back, and, and when he, he desires reconcile, reconciled relationships, it's because He likes to look at His kids, He likes to see His kids connecting with each other, sharing life with each other, seeing wholeness in their relationships together, laughing together, playing together, living and sharing together, and doing that in a harmony, I think our Heavenly Father looks at that and says, man, that's good stuff. If I would experience that as an earthly parent, I think our Heavenly Parent cares about that deeply. And so what do we do when someone has wronged us? Jesus' teaching shows us this approach that I think is like a three-legged stool. There's three components to this reconciliation when someone has wronged us, each important, and each can bring stability in the process of reconciliation. The first one is extreme kindness. The first leg of this stool is extreme kindness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 41, let's read what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him, turn the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. We're going to stop there at the end of verse 41. This eye for an eye, 
mentality. This is a retaliation statement that is found in the Old Testament. It's found in other ancient civilizations, rules and laws. It was a, a, a way for a judge, uh, a governing body, to make sure the retaliation or the response was not, not out of character or, or, or disproportionate to the infraction. It was very much a, a civil uh, statement, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, sort of an idea here that a judge uh, would, would rule on a matter and, and it wouldn't get out of balance. But what had happened over time, as Jesus is talking to this audience and, and they're listening to him, it had become so accustomed to them that that was the way of living. That the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, had taken that rule and not seen it as this uh, larger uh, way of, of leading a large group in a, in a civil manner, but they took it in a private manner. That if I've got something wrong with somebody, somebody wrongs me, then it is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I am going to live by this motto and inflict my vengeance upon them for wronging me. The Pharisees actually were the ones that breathed life into this being a private matter type of governance and leading and living as a, as a private person. It's almost as if they became their own you know, vigilante character in an action movie striving for, for a, a vengeance. And you even think about revenge movies and think about, you know, all these, these types of action movies that grab our attention and, and we just spend tons of money watching them, right? There's some sort of no-nonsense protagonist, you know, a Stallone, a Willis, a Schwarzenegger, The Rock, somebody like that. And they come in and they just bulldoze over bad guys clearing away because they've been wronged and they're going to right the wrong. And, and they do this in this way. And we, as the audience, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. And, and it feeds this desire for an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type of mentality. Something that for generations was passed down to this ancient audience that's listening to Jesus. Something that the Pharisees perpetuated. Something that we, even in 2021, still gravitate towards, still lust for. But Jesus says there's another way to do it because guess what? We're not action stars. We aren't civil judges. We aren't going to do it the way it was always done. And justice is not my responsibility to enforce. And so he looks in this passage at these various ways and look at the different infractions that we see, the various areas where we can be wronged and our response to that. One, he strikes you on the cheek. Someone is struck on the cheek. What does he say? Turn the other cheek, right? So somebody hurts you physically. That we can be wronged physically. Secondly, he says someone takes your tunic, right? They hurt your wealth. They hurt your estate. They hurt your possessions. They, they hurt and take that from you. That, that's, that's your stuff. Someone can, you know, someone can wrong you in that area. And the third one, they force you to go a mile. And, and in this doing, they're, they're hurting your dignity. They're hurting and infringing on your freedoms. They're telling you to do something you really don't want to do. These are all ways that people can hurt us. They can hurt us physically. They can hurt us in our resources, and our possessions, and our stuff. And they can hurt us in our identity and our freedoms and all of this. And it's interesting as you look at this, just to step back as an American reader of this, these are three things that Americans value very highly. Our life, our liberty, and our pursuit of happiness. Don't hurt me physically, don't take away my freedom, and don't impede my pursuit of happiness. And most of us equate happiness with our stuff. Don't take my stuff. But Jesus says that even though all three of these areas are ways that people can hurt us, our response is going to be different. It's not eye for an eye, it's not tooth for tooth, it's not thing for thing, it's not pain for pain. He says, we're going to do the opposite. 
We're going to do the opposite. We're not going to show retaliation. We're going to show restraint. That's the opposite here. When people take from you, this is an opportunity for you to give. Right? If they take advantage of you, you give them respect. You give them honor. When they take control of your emotions, you give them patience. You give them composure. When, you, when they take your stuff, you give them generosity. You see, Jesus is telling us to do something so opposite, so contrary. He's telling us to do the opposite. Instead of retaliating, we show restraint. And it's weird and mind-boggling that the idea that something the opposite could actually work for us. It's like the first time I remember ever driving a pickup truck with a trailer attached to it. If you've ever driven any kind of vehicle with a trailer or a boat hitched onto the back, and you're backing that up, trying to get it into a driveway or trying to get that boat down the boat launch. And you remember that first couple of times, it can be very frustrating. Every time you turn the steering wheel this way, the boat or the trailer went the opposite way. And so you'd crank it the other way, and then it would go that way. And it was like, well, the tail of my truck is going this way, but the trailer's going the opposite way. And so I remember early on in driving, my dad had to teach me that you actually have to do the opposite. If you want that trailer to go left, you've got to turn right. If you want it to go right, you've got to turn left. And it's mind-boggling that that could actually work. And Jesus is telling us to do the same. You've got to back that thing up in the opposite way that you would think to do it. It's opposite of your instincts, opposite of your, your intuitions, opposite of your reflexes. Instead of retaliating, we show restraint. We show people extreme kindness in the midst of our conflict. Let's think for a moment, what happens when we do that? What can happen in them? That's one thing. But I want you to think about your own heart for a second. What happens in your heart when you would do the opposite? You would serve them. You would give to them. You would be patient with them. You would listen to them. You would go the extra mile for them. They've wronged you. They've hurt you. They've taken advantage of you. They've betrayed you. What's going to happen inwardly? Can that anger that you're feeling inside, can it survive when you're intentionally trying to show extreme kindness in the midst of that conflict? I think Jesus is onto something here. That anger can't be, it can't survive in there. It dissipates, it dissolves, because we are, we're, the kindness and the hostility can't go hand in hand. Can we cling to our anger and cling to our kindness simultaneously? I don't think we can. And so what, he, what he's telling us is as we do the opposite, we begin to experience heart change. Transformation begins to happen within us. We aren't hostile. We aren't hanging on to all of that anger within us. And then think about what happens on their end. What happens to their heart when they see somebody act so contrary to the tendencies that they're used to experiencing? Well, when I yelled, you didn't yell back. When I sent you a nasty email, you didn't respond in the same way, with the same level of nastiness. When I betrayed you, betrayed you and betrayed your trust, you didn't reciprocate that in my life. See, the next time you're mad at somebody, very simply, let's bless them. Let's do the opposite and show extreme kindness. That's the first leg of this. The second leg of this stool that Jesus tells us about in terms of reconciliation is excessive kindness and to engage others when needed. To engage others. In Matthew 18, he talks about reconciling with someone who's wronged you. Matthew 18, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. He says, your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. 
just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won that brother over. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. This is a longer passage of Scripture, uh, kind of a famous passage of Scripture, but it shows you this idea that somebody wrongs you, what do we do? We, we engage other people in the process. We go meet with that person and, and we share honestly. Hey, when that happened, it hurt. And if they see uh, the pain that it's caused and, and, and they see that, man, oh man, I, I'm sorry about that, that, you know, hey, great, you've won them over, you've reconciled, and that, that was a great, boom, done. But maybe that doesn't happen, and so you need to meet with some other folks to help. And then you got to meet with more people in, in the process. And, and this kind of confrontation is not to shame or to belittle or to hurt the person in the process. It's not to create this giant complex of jurors sitting around them. The idea here is reconciliation. The idea here is to restore the relationship. But we're going to do that strategically with one or a couple or many so that we get to that process. It's kind of like re relieving a traffic jam that's taken place. Everyone's in their cars and they want to go their own way and it's beep, beep, beep. You know, everybody's, nobody's yielding. Everyone thinks it's their right of way. Hon horns are honking and all of this. And then you get a traffic cop in the middle. And that's what Jesus is describing is that when you bring other people, when you engage others in the midst of that conflict, what you're doing is actually putting a, a traffic cop right in the middle to help move things along, help the communication flow become dislodged and help people be able to share what they're really feeling. And they help actually bring a mirror to the situation. When I'm in conflict with others and I bring a mentor, I bring a friend, I bring a third party into it, it actually can be like a mirror that can actually bring a reality check to me. Oh man, I see what's really going on. A mirror to my heart. A reflection back of this is what I'm saying and this is how it's being heard. Because when it's one-on-one, -on -one, maybe I'm not seeing that. But that third party, those other people are like that traffic cop saying, let's go, let's keep going. Oh, wait, stop, listen. Okay, now it's your turn, let's go. And they're directing traffic, they're providing accountability, they're helping the communication. And ultimately, we're seeking God's wisdom together. And, and did you catch that at the end in verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, he would be there, right? That two or more are gathered there, he is present to bring truth and to bring clarity, to bring wisdom, discernment, all of that that we need in conflict. How many of you need wisdom in conflict? How many of you need truth in conflict, clarity, discernment, right? We need that. And what does Jesus say? Wherever more than one is together, two or more gathered in my name, they're striving not to shame or belittle or, or to pick sides, goal is reconciliation. The goal is to restore relationship. And what does Jesus promise? He says, I am there with you. Jesus shows up into that situation. Jesus shows up in that conflict because we've engaged other people. Jesus promises, hey, guess what? I'll be there too. Why? Why does Jesus show up? Because like we said earlier, Jesus is passionate about reconciling relationships. And this is a stern warning that he's laying out for us. 
There's a point in this that some of us may have missed. He says, if you've gone through these steps of engaging others and they still don't want to repent, they still don't want to reconcile, they're still stubborn, they're still entrenched in their rightness, there's a stern warning. He says, treat them like a pagan, like a tax collector, which to the Jewish audience listening to Jesus and the Jewish audience reading Matthew's gospel that we're reading, he, he wrote it with the Jewish audience in mind when, when Matthew wrote the gospel, that Jewish audience is going to hear that and they're going to hear banishment. They're going to hear exile. They're going to hear excommunication. To treat someone as a tax collector or a pagan is to really cut off that kind of relationship. And what Jesus is saying is that's the potential result. If we're going to go down this path of engaging other people, there is the possibility of severed relationship. And I think it's important with us sometimes to begin with the end in mind when we're in conflict with other people. We're engaging people into that conversation. We're realizing with the end result being the potential that could this relationship get severed by this? Yes, very much so. And we've got to ask ourselves, is this conflict worth dying on? Is this a hill to die on for me? Is this worth the end of our relationship? Is it worth it or do I need to forgive and move on? Do I need to let this thing go? And... and, while Jesus is talking all about the importance of engaging others in that process, I think that's the second leg to this stool. The third one, he begins to shift right in this conversation in Matthew 18. He shifts the conversation from reconciling through other people to reconciling through excessive forgiveness. And that's the third leg to this stool. And that's, I think, one of the, the, the most important parts of this that we need to see is that there are going to be things that, that bring conflict. We need to bring other people into it. We need to show kindness. We need to engage others, but we need to be willing to excessively forgive someone. Matthew 18, verse 21, the apostle Peter comes to Jesus and he, said, he asked him this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is just hearing Peter's example, and Peter's like, yeah, I got this, Jesus. I'm going to forgive him seven times. That's a lot. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Let, let me show you something. And this is where we get that phrase, excessive forgiveness. Nah, it's not seven times. It's 77 times. And in the same passage that we just read, uh, there, there's this parable that Jesus gives us called the unmerciful servant. This guy is experiencing the forgiveness in one relationship, then goes on and doesn't show forgiveness for someone that's wronged him. And what Jesus is getting at in this parable and in his, in his answer to Peter's question that we just read is what? Forgive. Forgive, 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 forgive. We need to be in the process of habitually and willingly, excessively forgiving people. Forgive, 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 forgive. The parable illustrates that we need to be willing to do this and that, that forgiveness is equated to this idea that somebody owes you a debt they owe you payment for something. They've wronged you. They owe you something. But forgiveness is illustrated as in taking that invoice that they owe you, taking that debt that they owe you, and ripping up the invoice. And as you read that parable, I encourage you to take some time in Matthew 18. Read through that parable on your own time and, and see what that shows you about forgiveness. It's that somebody owes you something, and you take that invoice, and you shred it. You rip it up. You dissolve it and say, you don't owe me anything anymore. That's what forgiveness is. 
that in the midst of our conflict, in the midst of our being angry about we're right, they're wrong, and I'm entrenched in that rightness, forgiveness says, you know what? You are right, but they don't owe you anything. And we're going to rip up what we think we owe them and move forward towards reconciling together. You ever had, you ever had a debt wiped away? You ever had an invoice ripped up? Payment that you owed somebody, maybe you, you had a bill or, or, or something that you owed somebody, a debt that you owed somebody. I, I had, I've had that at different moments where there was a, uh, I owed somebody money and, and they came back and, and said, surprise, you don't owe us anything. I was, whoa, are you serious? That's incredible, right? I had one instance where we had a, a, a water bill here at the church and, and we had a pipe uh, in the front garden that was leaking and, and we were leaking thousands of gallons of water. We didn't know it. We were just leaking water and it was so deep under the soil that it was just absorbing into all the dirt. And so it didn't look like a swamp in the front of the church. It was just absorbing and absorbing, absorbing. And then we get the water bill and we catch this. We're like, wait a second. It's as if we're just turning the hose on and just letting it run throughout all of Burlington. This bill that we got was just exorbitant. It was like five times what we would normally pay. And so we we had somebody come out, we looked at it, we fixed the pipe, we got it all, all, all fixed up and everything, and then we called the water company. And I really, I, I, did not, I did not know what to expect. I thought, well, let's ask. That's all I can do. All I can do is ask, right? And I asked, and, and we, we just said, hey, here's what we did and how we tried to fix it. We explained the situation, and they canceled the bill. And I'll tell you what, it just sets you free. Just sets you free from, oh crap! I'm gonna have to spend thousands, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand dollars on water that we didn't even use. I mean, the flowers still didn't look any more green because of all that water, right? And and, and yet, at that moment when the bill, bill company or the 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 water company says, "You're good. We've taken care of it. We've credited your account. You don't need to worry about it." I mean, it's just freeing. We've had landlords that have canceled our leases and our contracts because they heard our situation and understood what was going on, and we were locked in for another sometimes eight months, 12 months. We had just signed a lease one time, and we had to rip it up, and the landowner, the, the, the homeowner was just like, hey, we're good. I mean, it's just freeing. It's just, whew, you could take a deep breath, and that's what you're doing when you forgive someone. You're allowing them to take a deep breath. Because in many cases, they know that they've wronged you, and they know they owe you something, and they know that you, you're hold, you're, you, you could hold that against them. They will never measure back up in your eyes because you'll always think back to how they wronged you in the past. And yet, forgiveness, forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. Forgiveness says, this is not going to be ammunition to bring back up. Forgiveness it says, I'm not going to have any more grudges, no more hostility, no more anger towards the situation. I'm ripping that up, and I want to move forward. That's the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is challenging us to, and to do that excessively. Not begrudgingly, not sparingly, not only if they deserve it, but excessively. Not seven times, but 77 times. That's the kind of forgiveness that we're talking about is so crucial to the reconciliation process. This idea, and, and let's look at this as we recap. Jesus challenges us to focus on three things in reconciliation. Extreme kindness, engaging others, and excessive forgiveness. Why are those three things so important to Jesus? 
Why are those three things the things that we're talking about today? That when it comes to reconciling, someone's wronged you, here's the three things that we need to work on. Extreme kindness, engaging others, and excessive forgiveness. Why are those so important? Because that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. Jesus shows us kindness when we don't deserve it. You ever been blessed when you've been, been, when you've been bad? You've been living in sin? and yet you still experience something good? You ever see a kindness that, that Jesus accepted you when you were still broken, when you were still a sinner? And even though you continue to sin, Jesus still accepts you and loves you. You see, Jesus shows us extreme kindness. Jesus engages others to get my attention when necessary. Sometimes I, I feel like Jesus is trying to get my attention and speak to my heart, speak to my mind, but, but I'm not slowing down to listen to it. And so sometimes he'll use a sermon, sometimes he'll use a podcast, sometimes he'll use a movie, sometimes he'll use a conversation with my spouse or a pastor or a friend. He uses people in my life to get my attention. He engages people around me and the, the, the relationships I have to get my attention and say something that he's already been trying to say. He's just like, hey, Sean, will you pay attention to this? And yet I'm not listening directly to him. Then he'll speak through my wife, and I'm like, oh, well, that lines up with something I, I've been thinking about and something I thought Jesus might have been saying, but I, I kind of backburnered that for a while. You see, Jesus engages others to get our attention. And thirdly, he, he excessively forgives us. He shows us forgiveness so many times. He forgives me, he forgives me, he forgives me. It wasn't like I just stopped sinning the moment he forgave me. I, I, I get patterns and times and their cycles in life and seasons in life where we get stuck in sin, right? And guess what? Jesus forgives us and he forgives us and he forgives us. And it's not just once, it's not just seven times, it is 70 times seven and he rips up the invoice. I deserved hell and he ripped up that invoice and said, no, nah, you get heaven, you get, you get relationship. And they did that for me and he's done that for you. Jesus reconciled first. And that's why I think this is so important. We don't do this because we just want to be nice people. We don't reconcile just so that we can try to earn God's love or it's the, it's, you know, the Bible says to. It's, we do this because we've first experienced it with Jesus. We show these attributes and we live this out with other people because we first experienced it from Christ. Reconciliation is all about wholeness in these relationships and not letting our anger destroy what Jesus is trying to build. Our anger wants to destroy and deconstruct, and Jesus is all about reconciling, restoring, rebuilding. Jesus is passionate about reconciling relationships with you, and he's passionate about you reconciling relationships with others. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to pray for us right now. If, if, uh, if anybody watching right now just needs to make that commitment and make that decision to say yes to you and be reconciled with you, God, that you would forgive us. We admit our sin. We, we come to you asking for forgiveness, admitting our brokenness, admitting our wrong, admitting our, 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 our rightness. And we just lay that down to you and, and say, Jesus, first and foremost, before we can get right with other people, we want to get right with you. 
I pray for your forgiveness for our sin, that you would be the king of our life, the, sal- the savior of our life, that we would experience reconciliation with you, restore that relationship between us and you. And I pray, God, for the, the strength and the courage to go do that for other people. That anybody out there right now that's experiencing conflict with somebody, that, that you would begin to live out these principles and we be people who live out reconciliation, showing kindness, engaging other people, uh, forgiving. Give us a heart towards reconciliation to restore with your people. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.